everyone, and welcome to the Spacebar Podcast. I'm Pete Robertshaw, and on this week's episode, we're talking about a subject which isn't really like the sexiest size of e-commerce, but it's actually something that's really important. And it's something that actually often gets taken for granted, um, or actually doesn't even really get thought about at all. But again, like I mentioned, it, it is a really important subject. And again, don't yawn at this, but we're going to explore the subject <laughs> of data quality and actually how bad data quality can really lead to a poor customer experience, which hopefully that's got your ears pricked up. And we're looking at how that, how, you know, improving the quality of data can really improve the customer experience. To discuss this, I'm pleased to be joined by two guests today who both work at a company that I guarantee that if you've ever bought something online, you'll have used this company, but never really known about it. Uh, that company is Locate, and I'm joined today by Henry Thomas and Michael Keith, who are both product managers at Locate. So welcome, chaps. Thanks, Thanks for having us. us. I guess we're going to talk about um, data quality, data validation. It isn't a topic that you know gets most e-commerce managers excited, but I think from when I've looked at this, like if, you, if they can get it right, it could make them look absolute heroes in the business, like what they can go back to their business with and look at some of the things that they've solved. And, and we're going to talk about what, what, what you guys do in a bit and how it can help. But it's something that actually, if you're an e-commerce manager listening to this, you should really take, listen in deep and take take this seriously because it it can make you look really good and the business look good as well. Um, we'll get on to how and why that is the case shortly, but I just want to get you guys, Michael or Henry, just to give us a bit of a background to locate. Because um, I'm sure most people have probably used, this, used you guys but never yeah. known about it. So do you want to give us a bit of a background to locate and what you guys do? Yeah, definitely. So um, I think this is a question that I commonly have to explain to a lot of people, especially when I'm at like a party or something, you bump into somebody and they're like, so what do you do for work? And I'm like, work in tech. And they're like, <laughs> okay, what about in tech? And I'm like, uh, it's kind of addressing. And they're like, why, why is that relevant? And it's something that you kind of take for granted, particularly in the UK where we have really good kind of standard of like addressing quality data. You don't really think about it, but I guarantee you that most of the people listening here will have touched our services at least once in their life. There's over 20,000 kind of online retailers predominantly that are using us. And so think about the last time that maybe you ordered something online, right? You're doing your online shopping, you're buying some new clothes, a nice jumper, something like that. And you're going out to the checkout. And at some point, they almost certainly going to ask you for your address at some point, right? And when you start typing that address in, a lot of the time you'll notice, hey, this is starting to autofill something out. It's coming up with suggestions. Is this my address? Yeah, great. I'll click that. 99% chance that's probably going to be us in the background, mm -hmm. power in that. And that's really important, um, not just for you as a consumer, because it's quicker and easier for you to select your address, but also for the retailer on the other side of that transaction, because it means that they can say with confidence that actually this is the address of this particular person and make sure that you get your nice new jumper or your nice top when you're expecting to without any risk of kind of failed deliveries. Um, our mission is all about connecting every business in the world to every customer in the world. And I think that kind of product really helps sum that up. So I guess people are sitting and thinking, now, do you know what? I have used that. I wonder what's powering that when I'm going through inside of my... Yeah. That's really scary. How does it know that my exact street and number, right? Yeah, that's always the thing. That, that part is you always worry that you're going to take the edge off the conversation when someone asks you about that because it's all about, you know, data validation and data integrity and, you know, our bread and butter. So it's borderline exciting to us, but you never know what you're actually going to get when you talk about it. But when you explain it and people you're talking to go, oh, yeah, I've used that. I've yeah, seen exactly. That. And yeah, kind yeah. of like the penny drops in the head as to what they are. But if you said, oh, we've been to like address verification validation, like, okay, what's that for? Giving it that framing with that context. Hopefully for the people listening, again, if you're, uh, you've ever bought some online or an e-commerce manager, hopefully you already use and locate as a service. But if you're not, obviously you can speak to these guys. Um, so I guess you've kind of, the primary kind of thing we're talking about here is a kind of address verification and, and validation that sort of sense. But how, like how long has this kind of service been around and how has it i guess evolved over the time where was it kind of like born out from because you know e-commerce and trading online has been around for I'm gonna, well, a long time as long as i can remember um what point did this become a thing in terms of what the service you guys provide yeah so um so i've been i've been doing this for quite a long time about 13 years been in this industry now and it 
predates me. So um, it was going along a, a long time before that. I mean, exactly where it comes from um, is it, back in the day, you would have had things like um, more prevalent direct mailing and various other things. And a lot of address validation comes out of uh, spots in, in supply, in the supply chain, right? So a lot of it came out of um, uh, things like supplying uh, real life uh, items like to uh, the company that I came out of was supplying those to pubs and um, and things like that and seeing actually um, the main value that we're having here is in the, the address stuff. And the evolution of that, it won't be any surprise to people, is really in, in the technology. Mm. So back in the day, you would have had uh, disks delivered out to people with the address on them. Now, the one thing that I think is a, a real big difference is the globalization of it. So back in the day, you have certain places, certain countries in the world that have very established um, addressing setups. The UK is one of those yeah. places, right, where you can put a postcode in and you can get a handful of addresses and you pick from those. So back in the day, the uh, UK files used to be shipped out on a disk and it was only available to people that ran their own infrastructure because every month or six months or however long it was they'd load up those discs and load the data in and then um, mm. our programs would would do that and their requests would be coming from them that's not the world we live in anymore thankfully um so uh sort of software as a service came along and this was one of the the pieces of software that really took advantage of that first on sort of a supply via web services and things like that so we transitioned away from this being available just to um you know larger companies mm. running their own infrastructure to everybody and made it far more ubiquitous and at that point, it also started to become very novelty, right? So you'd have that point where you'd have um, uh, someone types in their, their postcode, oh, I can find my address. And that's a very, very sort of novel thing. As technology has moved on, as I said before, the, the local to global thing is, is the main difference here. So we've moved away from the idea of entering a postcode that generally works for the UK, mm -hmm. maybe a bit for the US, but not really, um, into the sort of type ahead things that you're, that you're seeing now. Um, and um, we've got far more intelligent with it. So before where you're essentially just looking up against the data, uh, you're now doing things like um, trying to uh, best guess matches. You're doing things like spelling corrections and transliteration, all these things to try to get someone to their correct data as quickly as they possibly can. So a lot's changed in the technology, but in the application of that, um, it's of no great revelation to everyone that internet shopping has become <laughs> far more prevalent now than it was 15 or 20 years ago. And that came along with um, extension of that across borders, mm. right? So there was a time when if you were buying something, you could kind of see they'd probably be in the UK or at least dispatch from the UK. Um, as things have grown out, we now do much, much, much more cross-border um, trade. That means dealing with a whole raft of addresses or fulfillment information that one person based in one country can't probably understand or yeah. at least has time to understand so dealing with those there's no uh international address standard so a lot of what we do is about curating data around bringing the best data from all around the world together so that sort of anybody can now look up address from anywhere in the world you don't have to have a detailed understanding of every address nuance across the world and we then make that available to all uh, sort of e-commerce vendors and things that's interesting I can, I can liken that to um so we work with a lot of like payment providers or payment gateways who a lot not allow customers to trade internationally through sort of um you know bringing like localized payment methods to the checkout mm -hmm. um i guess you could have been similar to the you you understand or you've got access to 
understand the different types of address data that's available around the world. You know, some some countries in the world might not have postcodes or whatever. And yeah. I know up until recently, like Ireland didn't even have like a sort of official postcode to do air codes now, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess that was maybe one of the countries that you, you know, essentially evolved and come on board. But I guess what you were saying at Locate is that you've kind of got reach around, I guess, internationally. How many countries would you say do you even know? Like how many countries can you, again, can you get address data for? Do you have like a... Yeah, so it, the, it, it depends, really, okay. is, is the way to say that, which is obviously, <laughs> I guess, a kind of prevarication on that. But um, we normally say around 249 countries that we cover oh, wow. for okay. various reasons. But as you said, the address data of a particular country differs. Mm-hmm. In the UK, um, uh, while it's not easy to provide a good service, the data is really good, right? Okay. You get data from, from the Royal Mail and from other sources, and, and um, it's easy to go there. In some areas, Ireland's a classic case where... Aircode was introduced a few years ago, but even that isn't necessarily fully adopted, but mm-hmm. it's, it's getting there. Um, you might have an address that is, you know, um, main road, red door. Yeah. Because that's how you're going to deliver something. So it's about understanding those different countries. So um, that number increases all the time with us. I mean, one of the things that uh, we have teams working on all the time is around the data curation. Right? It's really the most important thing. You've got to have the data. You've got to have an understanding of how places um, actually address your challenge has always been your unaddressed or or poorly addressed areas. How do you make this work in areas where, um, like Ireland, like parts of India, like various countries, you have a sort of a, a weak or or, or um, totally absent addressing system? How do you work with that? And we do a lot of work with uh, things like um, AI generation, AI parsing, and um, we're starting to look at uh, generative AI as well that helps us to address those markets where... Mm. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to to sell to because you can't get your products to that country. So it, it differs depending on which country you're in. This, I hope this isn't a question that's kind of maybe kind of competes with what you guys do, but obviously what three words has been established over the last, God, how many years it's been? Is that a service that kind of complements maybe what you guys do? Can it help, uh, you know, like those those places where, you know, like it's Red Door or whatever, or even like, you know, we work with a lot of customers in, in B2B space. So where they're trying to get stuff delivered to a site that's just mm-hmm. being kind of, you know, there might even be an official address there yet. Like how do you guys work or handle sort of challenges like that, where it's more in that sort of B2B space or, you know, building site? How, how does, how can you work with that? Yeah, I think, I think that's a really interesting one. And I think what three words is definitely like a compliment to what we do, um, particularly in those areas where there isn't as great an addressing standard or that might not be an address at all. Cause the reality is as humans, we relate to addresses, right? We get, what an address is and we can do that and in a built-up kind of metropolitan area in particular um, an address is always going to be the clear kind of defining standard there because what people know but as you start to move out into those countryside areas into those rural areas where there isn't that standard in place what three words can really shine in those Mm. in those areas in particular and i think at the end of the day it's all about identifying a point on the earth an address is just about identifying a particular point what three words about identifying the particular point and they both can be related back to geocodes at the end of the day and so you can use both kind of what three words and our data sets in tandem to actually provide yourselves with a kind of full coverage of the earth in in, in essence when you think about it it's it's an interesting like combination with user experience in that as well like what three words is incredibly useful again in that unaddressed uh, areas and and it's coming kind of as a data set in that way you also have user experience and expectation in some of those. So when you've got, again, those more established markets like the UK, there's people hold some value to the to the address, yeah. to the information that they're putting in. And so that's probably a harder transition to, you know, more of a, a objective thing in that case. So you have to be aware of the cultural impact of, of, um, of addressing and, and things like that. But um, yeah, I think Mike's got it spot on there. It's, it's 
an addition, something else that can that can help, especially with your last sort of hundred yard delivery. Yeah. Okay. Um, we kind of briefly mentioned about user experience there. And I think one of the things at Space Forty Eight we talk about when it's all about you know helping our customers improve their online customer experience. And one of, there's a couple of things we always insist as a minimum as on site on site tech. One of them is like a better sort of on site search because you know people who use search tend to convert three or four times higher than those that don't. The other one for us which is an absolute no brainer is having the address lookup and, and verification on there. And it mainly due to the fact that it it, it kind of takes blockers out of the user journey. Mm. So on checkout, customers haven't got to type in long addresses because it again you're trying to remove as many barriers during mm. that checkout process and get people to the end of it as, as, as soon as possible. Um, so that's kind of like some of the reasons we recommend it because again, just to sort of streamline that experience, improve the, the, the user experience in the checkout. But what are some of the other benefits to using a service like address verification, address validation that maybe aren't honestly on the front end that a customer is going to necessarily use? What are some of the um, other benefits, perhaps, and sort of maybe some of the the downfalls to not having a service yeah. like address verification validation? I think, um, as you say, the the effect on on friction in the journey and the conversion rates is clear benefit on on those things, and that's often where um, conversations start, or at least. You know, historically, when we were bringing this up, it's where conversation started, which is all around how do I get my time to check out? How do I reduce cart abandonments? How do I reduce friction? How do I get people through the checkout? And that's totally a huge benefit to using that stuff. Mm. I think an additional uh, way to think about this is, um, you can phrase this many ways, good data in, good data yep. out, right? Yep. So um, you uh, fundamentally, what you have in your database is going to underpin a lot of activities down the line. So um, one particular for e-commerce is fulfillment, delivery fulfillment. Um, I don't want to speak entirely about that, but that is um, one of the, the major parts, which is if you're filling that uh, your database with accurate info right at the start, it's going to save you in real terms money down the line because uh, you're going to see a reduction in, in non-deliverables, um, things like that. We talked about internationalization and, and during the pandemic particularly, you saw an increase with companies on uh, average order value and also uh, an increase over the last 12 months in um, cross-border mm. deliveries. Couple that with the fact that you have um, an increase uh, of in the expectation of that being a problem with customers. If, if you, if you uh, survey um, consumers now, they say that they're more likely to have ordered something that's got to cross a border, but if it's got to cross a border, they're more likely to have delays, missed orders, things that don't come through. So it's vitally important that up front you're capturing accurate information and um, you know, you're, you're editing out spelling mistakes, things like that, that when it goes into uh, like your couriers database, yeah. for example, is flowing through correctly there and you're going to see that because as soon as you see those things not getting delivered, well, there's an expectation of, of compensation, of of discount of money back and there's fundamentally the the cost that's going to get you to, to re-deliver a thing so you've got that um you've then got the sort of knock-on impact that that spreads onto the rest of your your activity you're going to use that we all know that if, you, if you're running an e-commerce store it's not just that you're selling things to people you're also marketing to people you're sure, also yeah. driving all these other kinds of things and a lot of that is based off the data you hold about the customer so it's really important that you get as accurate data as possible in so that when you're coming out, you're getting the maximum return on your investment for things like marketing and other activities that come afterwards as well. So it's important to think about it in that fulfillment life mm. cycle, but also how does that flow out to the rest of your activities and things you're going to do down the line and to the ongoing relationship you have with that customer? I guess it feeds into like 
we often talk about fulfillment and being um, you know, letting customers down with delivery. I guess there's a couple of things to pick up on there. One is that from an international point of view, it's all well and good. Okay, you're failing to deliver in the UK. I guess the, the cost to re-deliver that is probably, there's a cost there, right? But if you've got to go and do that, if you're sending something internationally, you've, there's going to be an increased cost. So getting it right, I mean, getting it right is important, but internationally, if you get it wrong, there's more of an impact to the bottom line. And I guess the other thing is if, if, if customers order something from you, you know, they want it next day delivery or whatever, they maybe just obviously maybe distressed purchase, they need something quickly. And if you deliver it to the wrong address and it turns doesn't get there the next day, then that's going to potentially impact on the customer giving you a negative review or whatever. So I guess it looks, I guess it, there's, there's so many things by the sound of it, actually, we're getting this wrong. Yeah, it's it's the pebble in the, in the water, right? And it just spreads out through back. through the rest of your, your life cycle. And as you say, it's not just expectations that this thing will get to me. We know that the world that we live in of, of fulfillment and stuff like that is that it will get to me in a timely way, that I won't be waiting, that I won't have to go down to the post office and pay some sort of thing because it didn't come through um, customs correctly, all that kind of stuff. And, mm. and that all impacts reputation, impacts those reviews and everything. So what are some of the, like, you, you must see data on this. Obviously, when you go and sort of talk to customers about the service you guys did, the address location, these other services, you must have some kind of like, we done some research around the the impact of getting it wrong. Mm -hmm. Have you got some data potentially you could share with us about like, you know, what you've seen, but maybe you know, post implementing a sort of justification, maybe you know, pre and post. Yeah. So I think if you if you look at the the level of the the problem, we commissioned some some research into what is the the, the delivery problem, what are the difficulties that we're seeing. So if you take the UK as an example, um, looking at the sort of the, the business we surveyed, you're looking at a sort of 6% delivery failure rate. Okay. If you're on there, then that's general. That's across, across, across the board. Um, an average cost at the time the survey was done, and we can link to stuff and, and send the, the details of, of £11.60, give or take. Um, which obviously, if you then spread that out, you're talking £68,000, give or take. Wow. Uh, yeah. So those numbers go up. Now, obviously, that's dependent on a lot of factors, right? So you've got your, um, your, uh, your your order value different um things that you can that you can balance out on those and that's not something that's limited to the uk and just to places that are that are well served by addresses you see the same patterns in the us same patterns in germany pretty much wherever you go to get something out there you see these sort of large values and um i know that that um we've got some information around the difference between getting that right at the start <laughs> and getting those things out and then what that means later on down the line so it's yeah and there's a dramatic difference in those things right so yeah that. i think it's something that i tend to talk about a lot is actually there's a concept called the 110 100 rule and in general um that's just applying that it's cheaper to correct mistakes earlier on in a journey sure so if you think about the one the one stands for the cost of um preventing kind of bad data from coming into your system or mistake is generally less than one pound so take for example address validation or like email or phone validation right you can be getting that service through a company whether it's locate or someone else for pennies right mm -hmm. if you stop it there that's going to save you a lot of money the further through your system that that data gets the more costly it becomes to actually correct it so the next stage of the 10 is on average to correct data in your system at some point on average it's going to cost you about 10 pounds to correct it so that might be that actually you're going out to a company and getting them to do a kind of data health check, see actually how, how many addresses are valid in your system, how many emails are valid in your system, et cetera. That's going to be more expensive than if you try to prevent that. And then you're also going to
going to have to potentially reach out to the customers. Say you got the wrong contact information, then you're going to have to go through a different channel to get the correct information from them. Um, or in the idea of a failed delivery, again, going back to that, which kind of leads on to the third point, which is the 100. And that's when the cost really sets in. And that is the £100 on average for cost of failure. Because cost of failure in these systems can be gigantic, as we've heard about from Henry just then, mm. with the cost of failed delivery. But this can be so much more significant than that. Because um, take, for example, with email validation, you might not think that when you're capturing that information from a customer, if you get that wrong on the front end, okay, they miss an email. What, what's the big deal, deal with that? I mean, that can have significant repercussions for that customer if you're sending them a voucher or order confirmation, et cetera. If they don't get that, then suddenly they've got to go back through to your support line and they've got to speak to someone yeah. on the phone. That's costing you money. And then when marketing campaigns come further down the line and actually you're sending out um, tens or hundreds of thousands of emails in a massive campaign, and actually a significant number of those are bouncing, you can then get blacklisted by your email service provider, which can prevent you from reaching a large percentage of your base. And that can have a direct impact on your bottom line. If you're not getting those sales or kind of marketing materials out there to those customers at the time that you need them to be going out, mm. the knock-on effects, as Henry said, it's that pebble in the water, it's that ripple of it all yeah. cascading out, and it just gets more and more expensive the longer that you leave it. You mean you, t you touched on a few things there. I was going to ask you about. We, we've, I don't want this podcast to just be about talking about address verification because yeah, people would probably be bored by that. There's a <laughs> good reason to talk about it, but I kind of want to expand this out into. Well, there's other forms of data which go into into a business. You mentioned obviously you've talked about email there to a certain extent. There's obviously phone numbers. Can we, do you want to quickly talk about not quickly, but talk about what are some of those other forms of verification? Why again? Why it's important um, for having those? Um, I mean, email one you mentioned there. I mean, like. For capturing an email address, the cost of acquisition for customer nowadays is, is getting higher and higher. If you're planning on, you know, converting that customer, remarketing, and re, you know, later down the line, if you've got the wrong email address, then you've kind of that your cost of acquisition's gone up again because mm. you, you basically lost the chance to remarket them or retain them as a customer. Um, do you want to talk about maybe build on that in terms of email validation and maybe anything else that you guys are involved with, and again, the effects of that rather than just let's say address verification. Like, how else can you help? What other business? What, what, what guess question is. What other things should business be looking at away from dress verification to, you know, uh, in terms of validating the data? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always a tricky question with data, right? Because data is vast and there's a million different types of data, right? So it's really going to depend on what um, your business is, which is why I think it's always good to think about what kinds of data are you collecting and what's important to your sector and how are you going to use that further down the line? And thinking back to that 110, 100 rule again, what's the impact if I get this wrong? But talking about e-commerce in general, there's kind of um, a few main kind of products that sell to customers and that we see a lot of uptake on. So addressing, obviously, email, phone and, and bank validation are also key, right? Those are all important parts. I think um, focusing back on email validation, sometimes businesses shy away from it because they're scared that it's going to add additional friction. Because mm. unlike with like addressing where you're getting the type ahead element of it and you're getting that suggestion and it's auto filling and saving the customer time, um, some businesses may worry that actually if um, they're getting a customer to type their email in and then it's saying it's invalid, then that's a potential lost customer through that, that, that point in time. But as I've said, the impact on the customer of not validating that can be even more significant because of going back to that, if that customer can't get the communications they need about their order or for their voucher or for that kind of additional marketing material that they're expecting to get through, and they have to contact you, that knock-on effect is is huge, right? It's going to take up your time. It's going to take up your employee's time. It's going to take up the customer's time. It's going to give them an overall bad customer experience. Um, and it means that for 
the longevity of your business and the other ways that you want to use that data, those can be impacted as well. So um, not many people kind of think about this, but email addresses, particularly in B2C type businesses, they degrade at a rate of about 21.5% a year. So that means that for every kind of um, five emails that you're capturing, if you're not using that until a year later on, um, one of those is going to be expired. Oh, right. So they've either deactivated their account, the mailbox is full, maybe they've moved on, maybe they've kind of reusing a work email, they no longer work at that place. There's a lot of different kind of factors to consider. And what that means is that then when you're planning out those kind of contacting campaigns, if you're not confident in that data, it's going to have those repercussions. So like I said, the bounce rates, if anyone that works in marketing is listening to this right now, they'll know that bounce rates can be the absolute scourge of yeah. any kind of big marketing campaign. They have significant impacts for cost and for timelines and delivery of all of these campaigns. Um, and a lot of people that kind of are thinking about whether they should have front-end validation maybe don't even have sight of that because it's difficult. Maybe you're responsible for the checkout process, right? So you're just concerned about getting that customer through and making sure that there's as little friction as possible. And you're not thinking about how the decisions you make at that point in time could affect another part of the business yeah, elsewhere that would actually end up losing you more money than you could have been saving by reducing the friction in the first place. So that's something that try and talk to customers about and get them to think about what is that end-to-end -end journey of that data within your system. That's a really good point, isn't it? It's that, that that friction doesn't end at your checkout. It's That's not just the friction you're introducing if you're bringing that bad data in or if you're aging out of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we always try and, when we talk about customer experience space for your CX, we look at, we talk to the customers, they're like, we, we consult on everything from acquiring a customer quality to the fulfillment of the order and everything in between so like you said like that 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 element of um and a big part of that is retention by the way so if although the checkout flow might be really straightforward because you're not necessarily validating data at some point in time that customer doesn't maybe again the impact of the customer coming back again because they don't get the delivery like we talked about or maybe again you don't can't market to them that having that conversation is actually quite interesting to have with an e-commerce manager and potentially mm -hmm. some of your customer services team is kind of tying the two together um you, you touched on um uh, a bit around the uh, sort of phone number validation and that kind of thing as well. Um, one thing we're starting to see a bit more well adopted in the UK, it's starting to become, it kind of was here about 10 years ago, it seems to come back again, which is like SMS marketing. So I guess for phone number validation, I guess that's trying to help customers who are interested in SMS, I guess that's potentially a selling point for, for phone number verification. I don't know if you guys work with any SMS providers, but I would imagine that that those two services kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, definitely. Funnily enough, it's actually a really big thing in the US. We find yeah. we have a lot of US customers that are big on SMS marketing. I mean, I can't personally don't see much of it in the UK. I mean, maybe I get a text from Domino's, right? And yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Two for Tuesday, but it's definitely becoming a bigger thing. And I think um, for a while now, email has kind of been that king of omnichannel. And it's definitely our most kind of popular kind of, of validation product that we provide because pretty much everyone can use it. But phone is definitely getting more and more of an uptick. And what we're seeing here as well is it's about the depth of validation that you can provide because um, there's a lot of services out there that might just say, hey, this kind of walks like a duck, talks like a duck, so it is a phone number, right? But actually being able to go beyond that and say whether that phone number is contactable at that point in time is really key mm -hmm. for those SMS marketing campaigns because um, just because it's registered to a carrier doesn't mean that somebody's going to get it on the other end of it, right? So you want to make sure that you're confident that that communication is going to get through to them. And there's broader implications as well um, than outside um, kind of marketing because these can be used as kind of fraud prevention tools as well in like very early stages of that. So they don't make up for a whole fraud prevention journey, but they're just that first kind of gate. Mm -hmm. So if you're thinking, for example, um, if you're a part of like a gaming website, something like that, and you have a, if you sign up for an account, you get a £10 free bet or something like that. Um, those can be massive targets for kind of 
organize bot attacks that want to sign up for those so that they can get the credit, they can make the bet, they can cash oh, okay. out, they can pull it back out again. If you can, and they can be quite sophisticated, right? Because they can use someone else's phone number or someone else's email address to sign up for it. But if you can have a sophisticated validation service that is going to check, is that phone number live? Is it actually registered like in this country for us uh, mm. that I'm signing up for? Um, has it been seen relatively like frequently or has it been used on this website before, for example? You can start adding those checks. They just give you some indicators that might say, hey, something could be a bit off here. Maybe we'll go do a bit more digging into that before we decide whether to proceed with this or not. So it's not just about the customer and the marketing elements, but there's also this kind of security and the kind of fraud elements that go into it yeah. as well. The fraud thing is is interesting, right? Because it's it's one of the one of the other reasons for for good address validation up front as well, right? Because often, uh, if you look at gaming companies in particular, if you're doing um, anti money laundering checks, if you if you whatever you're having to be doing online involves more advanced KYC or KYB checks on that stuff, then the value you're seeing from that service is dramatically increased by having accurate address data in there in the first place because often you're doing something like a one plus one well that's your classic um sort of identity um anti-money laundering checks where you're looking up people in database you're trying to see the activity of that person you're trying to see uh, make sure that essentially they are who they say they are having accurate address data is a major part of that mm. because you're going to get better matches you're going to get better outcomes from from those products and you're going to be um uh closing down the options of people that are, that are committing fraud, but importantly, also letting through more genuine people to come transact on the site. Do you think it's part of the whole piece? We, I was going to speak to you, but ask you about sort of fraud. And um, what the top of our customers' minds a lot of time is, again, is reducing fraud. And obviously, from a payments point of view, 3D Secure and two-factor authentication have come in around payments. I think what you guys, I guess, potentially can do is, whether it's address, phone number, whatever, in email is providing that big picture to you know if you're if we're going to send this deep this information off to the payment service provider they get that full picture of okay what is this data we've got and you're obviously validating it on the way in to mm-hmm. make sure it's actually accurate which hopefully again there's no guarantees this but in terms of acceptance rates for for payments in theory those could go up because you're again validating that data on the way in. it's you're doing that pre-check to make sure actually we've seen this before we know it's it's valid data um that's really interesting I, I, one thing i was going to touch upon was um You've talked, we've talked quite a bit about the cost of having sort of bad data. Um, I guess in terms of that data coming in the first place, obviously, you know, platforms like Locate can help stop that get that, that data from in the first place. But where's where does this data tend to originate from? Is it is it just people being lazy? Is it just common mistakes? Where does it originate from? And is there any kind of other new tech out there that's kind of kind of helping reduce this invalid data or any sort of simple steps businesses can take to you know reduce it? Obviously, Locate's one platform they can use obviously check it out um but like what what is the kind of origination for this why, why does this happen where is it coming from yeah so i mean bad data comes from from a number of places some of it is just user error right so so when um people are, are, are inputting data they're doing that in in multiple different environments so if you're doing it on a desktop you're doing it with a keyboard you might be doing it on your phone your digital keyboard and there are um sort of fat finger mistakes sometimes things like this where you you're pressing the wrong things the spelling mistakes there's other things there are some um sort of almost back to basics things that you can do to to improve that one is is all about optimizing the forms in which you collect those make sure that when you're rolling those out you're using um sort of the right uh markup on those that you're prompting for the right things there's so much technology out there now that is um able to that is designed to help customers to pre-fill to get people through things faster comes with its own set of problems which is if i make a mistake 
at any point that mistake is multiplied mm. x number of times across any sites that i visit because i'm not editing those out um you can do uh post validation as well so if you uh, go through you can see this and you, you see this sometimes on sites where um someone's filled something in they may have used address capture they may have edited that afterwards and then you'll get this um view where you can compare the two and they'll say did you mean this and that helps to right. to ease off the problems where you have um and this has happened to me before maybe you've autofilled on a site that hasn't correctly um done these things so now you have i remember uh, one for me is um i was getting a delivery from uh, a company that comes in large lorries and i had to explain you don't want to come down the lane <laughs> you want to go a different way and that now autofills into my county oh, selection right, every time yeah. that i do it so what happens is now if I don't pay attention and Google or other browsers are available, <laughs> autofills uh, into a particular um, area, then it's broken and I may not have even noticed because it's happening when you go through. So you can do those double checks, make sure you're getting those field optimizations in, make sure that you're curating the data yourself as it goes through. And of course, there's services like address validation and, and things like that that will that will significantly help with that. Yeah, I think, you know, we live in an era now where people always talk about data being king and the importance of data. And you're right when you kind of introduced it at the start, right? This, it's not always the sexiest thing to think about. It's not always going to be the thing that gets people really fired up and ready to go or something that's going to get a lot of investment from the business. But I think it's really important. I think you need to be kind of plotting out in your head what is that data journey and where is it used? And then you can apply some relatively simple things to that. So as Henry said, and we've spoken about, put that front end validation in place, right? Stop it at the source. If that's mm. where you're getting all of your data from, it's from customers directly, put what you can in place to make that as uh, as good as it possibly can be. But you might be getting data maybe from other businesses, right? For example, sure. maybe you're kind of acquiring information with other businesses, you trade things around or you've acquired a whole new business. So you need a method of making sure that you're sanitizing that data when it comes in as well, because there's nothing worse than you having a nice, healthy kind of database, <laughs> like 2 million records of pristine customer contact information, and then you import like 3 million bad records, right? That's good, bad. So do things like um, you can get data health checks and these are often free it's a service that we offer out to people we'll look at your data for you and we'll give you an indication of like what kind of percentage you're talking about of kind of bad email addresses or bad addresses right and then that can give you the information you need as to whether you want to act and do something more like a batch cleanse so again something that we recommend to all our customers is front-end validation isn't enough you need to be doing something on your back end so doing like a regular kind of bulk cleanse of your databases we recommend about every six months to a year um, already spoken about how kind of emails decay, et cetera, and that can happen to all different types mm -hmm. of data. So doing something frequently on an ongoing basis is is really crucial to kind of keep up to date with everything, really. It's, yeah, that's int interesting. You mentioned about all the data sources because a lot of our customers are in the kind of multi-channel, omni-channel world. They'll be getting um, information from, say, Amazon or other marketplaces. They'll be getting stuff from in-store. So especially mm. if they're arranging, like a lot of our customers work in the home and garden space where they're arranging deliveries on behalf of the customers and stuff. Chances are they're not going to the e-commerce website. It's somebody keying into the ERP or the whatever yeah. the EFOS system is. So make that makes sense in terms of there's more than, like, if you, you can put as many front-end controls in as you want in, but actually you're still prone to human error even within people in your own business. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. Um we, we kind of I asked the question was then about you know what tech is there out there to help solve some of these challenges this wouldn't be a podcast uh without talking about ai and there's a certain <laughs> phrase i'm not going to use or a certain type of way i'm not going to talk about uh but i have a question is is there a role and you maybe you guys are already using ai to say but is there a role that ai can play in improving a business's data either again on the front end or you know once it's there like is there something that, is ai pipeline in this is there a room for ai in, in data validation yeah is the is the short answer i think 
honestly, there's a use case for AI in pretty much everything. Is there? And you know, as like a kind of vice president, uh, we were kind of anticipating this question <laughs> at, uh, Sorry. At, at some point. But no, it's, it's yeah, it's something we've already been exploring. So one of our core products called Verify, it's all about the address verification. So this isn't the typo, but this is correcting mistaken addresses. And one of the biggest challenges that Henry spoke about earlier is how do you correct addresses in countries where you don't have good address data, mm -hmm. right? And especially in emerging markets, and when you're talking about places like India, for example, like they're a massive e-commerce market that's growing year on year on year, um, but the address data is just not that great out there. And as Henry said, that's just due to the way that people think about their addresses in those countries. And nobody knows the addresses of their countries better than the people that live there, right? So what we've been looking at now is um, something called AI parsing. So address parsing is actually when you take a kind of string of text and then you're trying to break that down into the constituent components of an address. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing is using kind of deep learning models to actually analyze how do people talk about their addresses in countries like India? How do people type their addresses and actually training the models on that so that we can then start to break it down and you can apply that for the rest of our software. And we see massive like improvements in kind of passing, like up until like 18% improvements over kind of what we do. And that's so much better than us as humans trying to interpret that and yeah. be like, oh, we think it should be this, or we think it should do that. It can just go to places that we can't at a scale that we can't. And that's, you know, it's 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 a great use case, but it's a relatively simple one if you compare it to like certain like generative AI models and things like that out there. And yeah, there's a, there's a lot of applications, but I think, um, it's really helpful in just that trying to understand human nature when you're not around those humans. It's great yeah, for that. Scale and cultural difference, right? Mm -hmm. It's that ability to, to ingest and understand data on such a scale that someone could spend their lives studying and still not have the full grasp of, of exactly how people are consuming that and how that changes over time, right? So, you know, models can retrain and mm -hmm. uh, we can run on, on data. And, you know, we're fortunate that obviously we see a lot of, of, of data throughput and are able to train models based on that. And um, I think that's that's really where the, the key is coming is from that passing thing mm. that you mentioned that our ability to to create um, those sort of data sets that are rather than reference data sets, actually true to yeah. life data sets. That, 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 you know. Yeah. And, and then it can be extended even further with kind of inference and using so. Take, for example, again, so we've worked out what the address structure is like in India for a particular region, right? And we know because somebody's put an order through our system that one and two in this street exist. And we also know that seven and eight on this street exist. So therefore, can we actually infer that three, four, five and six actually exist on okay, that yeah. street as well, right? Yeah. And that's something that if you set a human to doing that and to trying to fill that out on a, over a big kind of period of time, it's going to take us years yeah, and years and it's going to be impossible to do. So being able to infer that and then actually add some additional validation on top of that, of course, we wouldn't want to infer that something exists, say, yeah, three, four, five, and six does exist, but we can't prove it. But you can layer that on top of each other to build out a much richer and deeper data set than we could get from humans doing it alone. That's really smart. I wasn't expecting that answer, to be honest with you, but that's it, it makes total sense, like learning from what people are actually putting, you know, the fact that people should know the data better than anybody else. And if you can learn from that, that's really smart. Um, I guess the last couple of questions then, um, and looking into the future a little bit, where do you see the biggest challenges coming from going forward in terms of like again data validation and verification um and what are some things that locate we've already talked about using ai for sort of um internationalization in terms of addresses but what are some things that locate is doing um to help innovate and improve help merchants improve their sort of general business operations what what's kind of coming next what do you think of the challenges and how are you sort of starting to tackle those yeah so i think um i think it's going to be the lifetime of data so we've talked about data aging and some of the products we do and, and that are available in the market for that 
but I think one thing you, you can't have escaped if you work in the internet anyway, the, the data privacy question mm. right, that's coming up at the moment. And I think one of the things that we're likely to see, and it's sort of, it's, it's kind of dropped out of the, of the zeitgeist right now, but I think you'll see it coming back is data ownership and people's ongoing data ownership. I think you, you're going to see much more awareness of where people are handing over their data to, which, which you kind of have already, I guess, but the, awareness and control of that data's life cycle of where that stays. So my ability to say that I'm contracting with you right now to buy these pair of trainers, but I don't think you should have my address for a particularly long time. So I think what you're likely to see is more granular control over, over data. That's not exactly a validation change, but it is a change about how you treat your data, how you keep that up to date and the relationship you have with your customer based on that. So I think you're likely to see a lot of changes coming with that. And in the case, we're always looking at, at, at that, right? What is the, the life cycle of people's data? What does that look like? How can we help people manage that? And um, what will the changes look like in the future? Exactly where that technological change mm. comes from, whether that's, you know, personal identity and digital identity and things like that. Um, I think you probably see uh, some government things come in on that at some point in the not too distant future. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, from my point of view, I think that's a fundamental change in the way we're going to handle data going into the future yeah i think i think it's an interesting space because you know we've said data isn't sexy and data privacy is probably even less sexy right and <laughs> I, I, I was very more, like <laughs> excited about it but um it's it's a real severe issue right and i think what is important to communicate is, is companies like us that are trying to take the complexity out of that for you as an e-commerce business you don't want to have to think about all of these kind of data privacy laws about where this is being hosted or where it's going to or whose data that belongs to so if we can simplify that and we can anticipate those challenges ahead of time mm. that's a big focus for us so yeah as Henry says data privacy that's going to be a continuing challenge and something we're going to have to keep adapting technolo- technologically to um things like increased globalization is going to continue to be a theme right we're going to continue to see e-commerce expand into new markets and new territories so making sure that we always have the most up-to-date the most accurate data sets that can be provided um to our customers so that they don't have to worry about it if they want to expand into that market great great great. you've got everything that you need for it um so we can always meet their customers wherever they are right i think it's like privacy global expansion um those are probably the two two biggest logical focuses okay and then the final question um i said to start this podcast that i wanted to again again i keep saying it was the most sexiest areas but we want to try and make some of the e-commerce managers listen to this kind of like heroes in their business like they can go back to their business and say listen to this amazing podcast we need to start focusing on this what are a couple of key takeaways that they can go back to business that's going to make them look great that's going to help maybe save the business some money it's going to improve efficiencies like what are maybe one or two key, key takeaways that they can go back to the business with after listening to this Um, uh, yeah so i think for me it's and it's kind of been a theme of what we've been talking about but it's start off with the the cleanest most accurate data you can get and keep it that way so understand the life cycle of your data understand where you're feeding things into and and what parts of your business they're powering if you have an understanding of that you'll see more of the value in having that clean data and um it's it's always worth keeping that data up as it ages make sure that it's keeping in there and you're going to see you're going to see improved roi in in many different areas and i think some people will be quite surprised in where they're mm. seeing improvements um in the life cycle um mike spoke earlier about people that perhaps are focused on the checkout or the the, the e-commerce flow experience i think you're going to see an roi impact much wider in your business than that if you get accurate data keep it accurate for its lifetime yeah. great 
echo everything that Henry says, and I just think you know there will probably be opportunities for savings, as Henry says, that you don't know exist. And in a time where the economy is difficult, right, and people's budgets are being cut back, actually being able to make those savings right now and thinking about things that maybe other people aren't thinking about, right? If you can come with that perspective of looking at where your data comes in, where it goes out, and everywhere that it's used in between, if you can bring that perspective to the business, that's an incredibly valuable proposition for you to bring back. I think that's brilliant. Yeah, really, really, really good point. Um, again, work people we see a lot of business work in silos, individual departments, and just don't think about the other. But I think that's a really important thing. So, the e-commerce manager doesn't go back to the rest of the business and say, "Right, hey, I can help you over here," or "This is how you can." I think that's really important. And I think my my final would be like, if you're not using address verification on the checkout, what are you doing as an e-commerce business? Mm-hmm. Seriously, it's it's again a fundamental. I've said this before with search. If you're not using out the box search. So you're always not about searching a website, stop it, go and get the best breed of tool that will sort of solve that problem for you. So it's the same with address verification. It's such an easy thing to integrate, such an easy thing to get live. Go and do it. Um, listen, that was really good, guys. I think we made data verification validation sound a little bit sexy, so well done for that. Um, but it's a really good place to end. Um, thank you both for coming on and sharing your insight. It's uh, given me a lot of thought, food for thought. Um, it's a definitely really important area that businesses should be looking at. Again, it's not the most glamorous of topics, but so uh, really good. Thanks, guys, for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Uh, but that's it for now for another episode of the Space Bar Podcast. Take care, stay safe, and we'll catch you on the next one.